the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're having a wonderful uh, Saturday, uh, and um, hopefully um, uh, you've been enjoying the uh, uh, different topics and the series that we've been uh, discussing in our um, uh, radio program, Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. Uh, we are into our third season already, which is an exciting thing. Uh, never thought that we'll make it that far, but by the grace of God and your prayer and your support as well, um, we have been able to make it this far. You can always, by the way, go and visit our archived shows. You can access them in a variety of ways. You can go to the radio show website, which is uh, KPXQ 1360, search for Let Us Reason or Al Fadi. That's one way. You can go to soundcloud.com forward slash Let Us Reason, or at least just go to soundcloud.com and just search for Let Us Reason, and you'll find it there as well. You can also visit my brand new website. It's called Sierra International. The word Sierra is C as in Charlie. C I R A, Sierra International, one word, Sierra International.com. And uh, uh, basically, uh, through Sierra International.com, we have a section for Let Us Reason. In other words, you can listen to all of these archived show. And one of these series we started it recently. Um, uh, myself and a uh, guest speaker uh, on my show. His name is Vocab Malone uh, from Urban Theologian. He also used to be the host of Pack Back Radio. Uh, nevertheless, uh, an intriguing topic that uh, was brought to my attention due to his research uh, for his Doctor of Ministry called the Hebrew Israelites. And uh, something that really caught my attention when I heard about it first, I did some quick studies on it, and then I realized I need to have him uh, to do this topic justice, because I don't want to just fabricate uh, uh, facts. But nevertheless, in a summary, uh, I will be um, inviting Vocab later on today in uh, this episode to continue the discussion with us. But this particular uh, group uh, is uh, has various leaders, really, um, uh, basically for different branches of this particular uh, group. And there is no primary leader today, uh, uh, for instance, and it started in the United States uh, before uh, the Civil War. Headquartered in various uh, various major cities across the U.S. and has many chapters as well. It doesn't appear, at least as of recent, that they have a centralized headquarters of leadership for this particular movement. It's estimated that it has about 200,000 followers. And uh, about 50,000 of them are black Hebrews, while the number who follow some form of Judaism... Uh, could be up to 200,000. There is vast amount of diversity among this group. 
And the origins, really, of this particular uh, branch of, um, I like to call them cult, um, uh, originated before the Civil War, and another uh, branch also was founded later in 1896 uh, through the Church of God and Saints of Christ by William Crowdy. In 1980s, other sects or branches began to appear, such as those that are led by Yahweh ben Yahweh. In 1935 until 2007, or uh, Holon Mitchell, uh, Holon Mitchell Jr., there are a number of other branches of this broad Hebrew-Israelite movement known as the Commandment Keepers, the Law Keepers, the House of Judah, and the African Hebrew-Israelites of, of Jerusalem, and uh, just to name a few, of course. Uh, so what are their practices in summary? Some groups stand on the street corners of major cities and condemn people for their allegedly false beliefs while using vulgar language. And the Hebrew Israelites are very combative and generally do not want to listen when their views are challenged. They frequently use Hebrew words such as Yah, which is the name for Yahweh, shortened. Um, Also, uh, Yahshua. Uh, for Jesus, Shabbat, uh, for the Sabbath, and etc. Um, they keep the Jewish Sabbath and many other Jewish customs, including circumcision, dietary laws, and the observance of certain Jewish holidays and festivals like Yom Kippur and Passover. And they use the Old and the New Testament, although some rely only on Old Testament and ignore or deny the New Testament. I just want to mention that. But nevertheless, in general here, They use the Old and the New Testament to support their teachings, their point of view, especially the five books of Moses, which is Genesis to Deuteronomy, known as the Torah, of course, or the Book of the Law. And they do not consider themselves to be Jews in the modern sense, basically, Um, uh, you know, uh, of the term since it's associated with Orthodox, Reformed, Conservative, or Hasidic Judaism. So they do not consider themselves to be along these lines, basically. Their source of authority Obviously, it's really difficult since they don't have a centralized, basically, headquarters or a a center for authority. Um, It's uh, difficult to determine where these uh, Hebrew Israelites get their ultimate source of authority, the final say, if you wish, since they do not have an official writings. So apparently, they view the Bible, both all the New Testament, uh, preferably the King James Version, as an authoritative source. Uh, But they just argue, of course, uh, that there have been a number of mistranslations, misunderstandings. In other words, you know, these translations misunderstood really the original intent. Nevertheless, some hint that the canon of the Bible is not fixed, okay? And they apparently use other writings outside of the Bible to support their ideas, such as the Apocrypha or Pseudobagrapha, meaning the false writings, And uh, their teachings in general, when it comes to God, um, the Trinity is a false teaching according to what they believe in. And God's true name is Yah, as found in Psalms 68, 4, where it says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song for Him, who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exalt before Him. Okay? And it's mentioned there, so they believe that's the true name. Jesus, for instance, there is no consensus among them on who the Messiah is. The true name of the Messiah is the New in the New Testament is Yeshua ben Yah, Yeshua the son of Yah, meaning the son of Yahweh. 
According to their websites, there is no universal agreement regarding who is the Messiah. And it is not a central component of what defines them as Hebrew Israelites. The virgin birth, Yeshua the Messiah was an Israelite, but he had no earthly father. So what made him an Israelite? He was born through the womb of an Israelite woman, according, to, of course, to uh, how they understand the connection between the Messiah and uh, Israelites in general. And uh, uh, salvation, of course, for them is only possible by calling on the true name of Jesus in Hebrew, which is Yeshua ben Yah, Yeshua, the son of Yah, or Yahweh, of course, short for that. And uh, you have to call upon him by his Yah, given Hebrew name, as it states in Acts 4.12. They take this, uh, once again, out of its own context. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So they use this as the proof text for that. And obviously, uh, you don't find that in the text. The text talks about all people being saved, of course, uh, uh, in Christ, and uh, whether you could call him Yeshua or Jesus or Yeshua or whatever, uh, I don't think God is going to really be stumbled if you don't call him that way uh, so he can save you. And uh, only his true name, given from heaven, which can be spoken in every language, is your key to salvation. I mean, uh, talking about exclusivity here, I mean, uh, you add uh, now, uh, basically, uh, this finding, this secret name now, uh, is what saves you. It's almost like abracadabra, uh, kind of an approach. And uh, in uh, John 3.18, it says that you are condemned if you do not believe in the name of the only begotten Son. Here again, they take the word name literally here, when in fact the Bible, by the way, when it uses the word name, it's not talking about a literal name only. It talks about the authority. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. You can go to the King James translation found uh, uh, for John chapter 17, verse 26. And it says, and I made your name known to them. You go to the NIV translation of the same passage, John 17, 26. And it says, and I made you known to them. There is no contradiction here. Name, I made your name known, and I made you known, is one and the same. The name of God is the authority of God, the person of God, the nature of God, and so on and so forth. Relationship to Judaism, it is necessary to keep the Sabbath and observe various Jewish laws. The Talmud is not God's revelation. Well, we get it. But nevertheless, they have their own authorities. And then, talking about hell, hell is a metaphor. And it's not a literal place. Now, that goes against the teaching of Christ, of course. And when it comes to black people, uh, black people are the true Israelites from the tribe of Judah. And they argue this from various passages in the Old Testament, including Deuteronomy uh, 28, uh, Leviticus 26, uh, which reference uh, ships, by the way, uh, in Deuteronomy 28, uh, 68, uh, which reads... The Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships. Okay? Serving in bondage, Deuteronomy 28, 48, mockery, and being defeated before one's enemies. I mean, there's a whole list of things that uh, shows as if slavery and all these sufferings 
and all of these things that happened to the slaves by bringing them into ships. And who's Egypt in this case? The U.S., of course. Uh, U.S. is uh, is this Egypt, uh, and therefore this is a fulfillment of all of this. I mean, by the way, I can say this. Man is so creative. When, when man got nothing else to do, that's what man can be creative in doing. I wish man sometimes spends his energy in searching for the true God rather than inventing a God of his own imagination. With that said, I have someone who isn't basically studying this particular cult, and I stand by my terminology, uh, Vocab Malone. How you doing? Oh, Fadi, what's going on? Not much, my brother. I was just giving people an overview of what we've been talking about, and uh, glad you can join us. So uh, why didn't you, brother, continue uh, your discussions and uh, explanations of this unique and weird and strange cult. Let's pick up where you were. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Yahweh is giving to the people of Israel covenant promises that if they obey him, they'll be rewarded. And if they don't, they'll be punished. Deuteronomy twenty-eight sixty-eight is their key verse, this Hebrew Israelite group. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. Let's look at the problems. The Lord will bring you back. So this is a place they were before, in ships to Egypt. That means the Egypt can't be America because the Israelites were never in Egypt the first place. So you can't bring a person back to a place they never were, correct? Not only that, but Hebrew Israelites, to get their interpretation, have to say back in ships to Egypt. They make the ships literal, as in slave ships. They make Egypt figurative. So it switches from literal to figurative right between those two words, ships, Egypt, they just switch it. A journey that I promised that you should never make again and never make again. Again, this is a journey they made before. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale. Did the slaves uh, from Africa offer themselves for slaves? No, they were not willingly doing it. To your enemies as male and female slaves, that there would be no buyer. Was there a buyer for those slaves? Yes. That's why they kept on kidnapping them, is because people wanted to buy them, unfortunately. So the point of this is the Israelites be in such bad trouble to try to sell themselves into slavery, but no one will even want to buy them is how bad it will be. This is not a picture of the transatlantic slave trade. You know, brother, I like their hermeneutics because it's pick and choose. Yes, it is very pick and choose, and they have a way to get around that. They go to Isaiah where it says precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Now, interestingly enough, if you read that passage, because what the Hebrews like say is that's how you should interpret the Scripture, which basically what they really mean is grab a false concept, ta- stack it on top of another false concept, get what you want out of it. However, what that passage is talking about, people were mocking God's prophets. They were saying, oh, precept upon precept, command upon command, law upon law, that's all you do. You're just dumping this stuff on us. They were actually mocking the prophets. It wasn't an interpretive schema that you're supposed to follow. is people making fun of the prophets because they were giving them the law. That's actually what was going on in that passage. Now, a big one is Galatians chapter 3. Sometimes when I deal with the Israelites, I almost wonder, do you guys... uh, do you guys have Galatians in your Bible? <laughs> because the funny thing is, Hebrews like say, we're under the curses of Deuteronomy 28. Nobody can fulfill those except for us. But hasn't Christ freed his people from the curses of the law, first of all? That's and doesn't what it says. Yeah. Galatians 3.10, though, says, for all who rely on works of the law are under curse. So it's kind of like they're showing their hand. They're saying they're under a curse. Maybe that's because they're relying on the works of the law. Law. Now watch this, verse 11, because the problem with the Hebrew Israelites is not just the fact that they think they're Israelites when they're not. They're really people of West African descent by and large, which is good. 
we believe that God has redeemed people from all nations. So West African is a great culture to be a part of. A lot of Bantu people there, Nigerians, Mali, kingdoms like that. Nothing to be ashamed of. We don't want to say we're Israelites when we're not, is my point. And by the way, let me stop right here. We want to make sure our friends who are African-Americans or even if you're from an African background, we talk, we're not picking on you. We're just talking about a group of people who made this claim, this false claim, might I add, that just because you come from an African background, that somehow now you are the only saved group of people. Yeah, and even out of that, of course, the Hebrew Israelites don't believe that um, all black folks in the Western Hemisphere will be saved. They believe that uh, like one-third one of them will. See, you should be on our side now. By law-keeping. Yeah, and now watch this. Verse 11 of chapter 3 of Galatians says, It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. But they try to keep the law, and they believe basically say that's how they're justified. Now, watch this, though. This is highly, highly interesting. They believe they're the offspring of Abraham, physically, literally. But the question is, according to Scripture, who really are the offspring of Abraham? Well, the answer is actually those who believe in Christ. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So this is different what, between singular yes, and plural. Yes, and the emphasis on Abraham's offspring really is Christ because that's the way the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled, which is, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. All the families. And remember, he's supposed to be a father of many nations. So it's not just one nation. And so the emphasis is on Christ as the offspring. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, so Abraham didn't really have the law, does not in all covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, the point of all this is just to show that, first of all, the law has met its conclusion, in a sense. There's different ways to term this, through Christ, meaning he kept the law perfectly, no one could. All the things that the law was pointing to, and, and even points to now, were fulfilled in Christ, uh, inside and out, every way. And so the emphasis on keeping the law, Paul makes the argument at the beginning, if you're going to emphasize that as means of salvation, then why did Jesus need to do what he did? And the emphasis on being physical offspring of Abraham is ill-founded when, first of all, we focus on Christ more, and I'm going to find it in another place, but there's another place where it says in chapter 29, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 29 of Galatians. I know I'm going fast, but it's exciting. Listen to this, guys. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham, right? And I'm one of them, so, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord, Al-Fadi. Amen. And, and what you're sharing basically goes uh, against the face of this racism because, for instance, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. Yeah. There's no distinction here. Right. You know, just like you mentioned, Abraham is the father of all nations or many nations. Nevertheless, and also in uh, Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. I mean, you can't pick and choose and tell me I'm just going to like the this verse in Galatians 3, but I'm going to ignore the rest of them. I mean, they do like my... 
my Muslim friends. I mean, they want to go to Deuteronomy 8.8, but they want to ignore the rest of Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's a problem. Another great passage, Al-Fadi, is Ephesians chapter 2. And I love to ask Hebrew Israelites, what is the mystery? What is the mystery? What is the mystery of the gospel? I start in 2, but then I take him to 3. And watch what this says in Ephesians chapter 3. Because, see, remember, they believe the good news is only for those who are physical, literal descendants of Israel. But Ephesians 3 says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, we know Ephesus was a mixed congregation, first of all. And he's saying he's preaching the God. He wants to be a missionary on behalf. That's why he's in jail. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, there's that word I'm going to get to in a second, mysterion, made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can proceed by insight into the mystery, there's that word again, of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. So this is something not previously revealed. So if it was Israel could be delivered, that's already been revealed. Yahweh's already, that's already clear, right? This is something different that kind of dis, not, has not been disclosed yet, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed how to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this is a new thing happening that's been revealed, even though God always planned it, according to Ephesians 1. Here's the answer. What's the mystery of the gospel, Hebrew Israelites? Paul answers you, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, what do they do with that verse? They try to say, well, the word Gentiles there, even though it should mean Gentiles, you're confused. That actually means Israelites who are scattered abroad, not living in Israel, who have a Gentile state of mind. First of all, there's a word for that. It's called Hellenized Jew. And in the Greek, there's a word you could actually refer to people that are Israelites or Jews by birth, but have a uh, Gentile way of living, it's Hellenized Jews. So first of all, that doesn't work because there's already a word for what they're trying to say. But this Gentiles just is the way you always have the word Gentiles, and it just basically is ethnos, right? Okay, now watch this. They're fellow heirs. Would it be a big shock or surprise if Israelites are fellow heirs with Israelites? No. Would it be a big shock or surprise if Israelites were members of the same body as other Israelites? No. Would it be a big shock or surprise if Israelites could be partakers of the same promise as other Israelites? No. So it can't be Israelites. This has got to be actual, for real, Gentiles. And go back to 2.11, and Paul shows you the way he defines Gentiles. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So it's clear these are Gentiles according to the flesh. So, brother, tell me, I mean, I'm sure you had these conversations with them if they allowed you even to finish your sentence. Um, what kind of answer you get about these things? Uh, they repeat again and again and again that I am interpreting Gentiles wrongly. That is their ultimate lexical escape hatch. Because every time it's clear that Gentiles are now included into the covenant, they've been grafted in. And this means Gentiles as in non-physical descendants of Abraham. It's clear again and again, especially in the book of Acts. I mean, come on. They just resort to saying, no, it means Israelites who are physical descendants of Abraham scattered abroad who have a Gentile state of mind. But that's not what they were called. They were never called Gentiles. They were called Hellenized Jews, first of all. Second of all, then how do you know, if that's the case, how would you know when it's talking about physical Gentiles or 
Gentiles in name only who are actually Israelites. How would you know in the text? You wouldn't. It's a, it's a mass confusion. When you push it and push it and push it, they just say something like this. this is not exaggeration. They say, well, this book was not given to you. It was written by dark-skinned men. Uh, it was written by ancient Jews who were black like me. You're not supposed to teach it as a Gentile. And it wasn't even given to you. Um, you were dealing with it with a European or, or a, a Greek state of mind. And so you can't interpret it and you don't understand it. That's what they resort to every time. Hmm. So what would be uh, what are some of the ways that uh, some of them have been awakened and left? Uh, for instance, we, our time is kind of tight, you know, right. so, uh, give us maybe one powerful story of someone. You know? Yeah, here's what's so crazy. Since we started doing this, this is only since the beginning of the year, Al-Fadi. God has really brought me and some other brothers to really focus on this issue because it's been neglected in the church and it's destroying not only our inner city churches, but churches all over. I'm getting calls from the UK, Australia, everywhere. There was a man who was in this since 17 years old, and he heard about what we're doing. He contacted us, and he told us his journey out of it. And it was multiple things, but mainly it was just these little doubts that he realized they weren't dealing faithfully with the biblical text. And he ran into a Christian one day who showed him that. Now, he shouted down that Christian in public, but it never left his mind, first of all. Then when he saw our videos online, he became encouraged, realized we were doing uh, kind of the final step of his process. He got a hold of us, and guess what now? This brother let us interview him, exposing all the secrets of this group, and now he's in our apologetics debate team debating other Hebrew Praise God. Praise God. Brother, we want you again in the next uh, couple of shows so we can continue these exciting uh, things. Thank you so much for listening to us. You've been listening to Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi. With me here was Vocab Malone. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.